Ernest, what's up? Y'all know I'm big on doing your research, sharing your research, and giving credit to where you found the research. But I always get asked the same question. Where do I start with the research? And the answer is easy. It's our sponsor, Yahoo Finance. Whether I'm tracking the daily movement of my favorite companies, doing technical analysis with their easy-to-use charting platform, or checking balance sheets, Yahoo Finance makes something very complex simplified. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or you're looking for extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. You could actually securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors. And it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. With a community of over 90 million users each month, their real strength is helping you on your way to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You heard me, yahoofinance.com. Don't wait, don't hesitate. I use it. You should go over there and start using it now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details heard of a person say that 100% of my money was enough. So if you're working and 100% of your salary is not enough for you to live the way you want to live, then what make you think you're going to retire and then all of a sudden that's going to be enough money for you to live? My graduates from my school being Forbes, bag drop. Bag drop. <laughs> a mic drop. Bag drop. Bag drop. All right, guys, welcome back. Yeah. EYL, back home. Dope, dope episode. This is something that has been probably over a year and a half in the making. Maybe longer. Tough. Longer than yeah, that. Yeah, right before COVID. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. He's on the phone and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is supposed to happen. Yes. But nothing yes. happens before it's time. That's yes. right. So, Jamal King, better known as Nine to Five Millionaire, somebody that we got introduced to a few years ago. Super, super great backstory that we'll get to. Incredible. Um, just did Invest Fest for us. Thank you for doing that. Appreciate, yeah, appreciate it. it. He has his own Invest Fest story. We'll get to that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, this is an interesting story for a few different reasons. So he's a big time real estate investor, over 380 units. And he's actually in the real estate development game. We'll talk about that. And then he's an entrepreneur. He has uh, daycare centers with his wife, I believe. He has yep. a um, security company with his brother. Mm -hmm. But he started out as a police officer. Nine to five. That's why he was nine to five millionaire. So <laughs> yeah. he was a police officer for how many years? Man, 20 years. Yeah, 20, 20 years, years in, in Chicago. Right? Yeah, in Chicago. What, what area in Chicago? Man, you? it's called the Gresham District. The Gresham? Yeah, so it's right by Inglewood. So just to give you a little context, 
Chicago during the mid 20s, like about 2005 to 2010, led the country in homicides. Yeah. Mm. And my district, the Gresham district, led the city of Chicago. Oh, that was in those homicides. That was like in, oh, wow. so right by Inglewood. Yeah, it's right, like, it's border Inglewood. So it's south, separated south. by yeah. like one street. Home oh, of Derrick wow. Rose. Yeah, home of Derrick Rose, exactly. Wow. So yeah, so you was, uh, all right. So, and this is an interesting story because. You started investing while you were still on the force, right? That's correct. And then you became a millionaire while you were still working? Yeah. Yep. All right. So nobody had a clue. <laughs> no, nobody had a clue. I mean, <laughs> why? Yeah. You know, and that's the whole thing that's I the talk way, about. That's the yeah, way to do it. You know, I talk about just as far as having a vehicle. And the police department for me was nothing more than a vehicle. Oh, and it. so when I got started in real estate investing, I just said, that's just another vehicle. I was like, why do I have to stop doing this or driving this vehicle? I love it. So, yeah, man. So, yep, I started investing in real estate at the age of 22, the same exact time I started as a police officer, and I became a millionaire by age 26. So, all right. So, let's talk about this um, because a lot of people that watch Earn Your Leisure, you know, they have regular jobs, nine to five. Yeah. They, they might be a firefighter, police officer, or a nurse, or a school teacher, or whatever, janitor. Um, and a lot of times people think that, you know, you just work those type of jobs, you get a pension, you live off the pension, and that's it. That's how you become a millionaire. You become a millionaire with your pension when you're 65. Yeah. Um, they don't necessarily think like you actually can be an entrepreneur at the same time. So, all right, let's let's start at the beginning. How'd you get turned on to real estate? And when did you really start to like hit your stride in real estate? Yeah, so in the beginning, bro, it, before I even get to how did I even get turned on, like I literally hit the vision of wanting to be a millionaire. That, ever since I was a young kid, mm. I, wanted to, I wanted to be a millionaire. And I was like, man, look, I never seen anybody else in our community become a millionaire from their job. I never seen anybody become a millionaire from, you know, working a nine to five. So I was like, I want to live different. My father was a police officer, 30 years on the Chicago Police Department. So you're from Chicago? I'm from Chicago, born okay. and raised. Mm. Okay. And my father was a police officer, 30 years. And my mother, Cook County Sheriff, my mother did 20 years as a sheriff. Mm. My brother was an Illinois state trooper. So I had in my family, we had somebody that covered the state, somebody that was with the city, and somebody that was with the county. And, you know, I, the police department was good. You know, it was a good job. It put, it put food on our table. But I was like, man, I want more. Ever mm. since I was growing up, bro, I just wanted to be like a millionaire. And the reason why I wanted to be a millionaire is because... I used to look on TV, dog, like Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and I used to just see how they used to always just be smiling, bro. You know, it just seemed like it was a good life. Yeah. We didn't have MTV careers back then. <laughs> you know, we had Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Yeah. And I used to just see them, and I used to just look. And I'd be like, man, every time the father come home, he's smiling, the kid's smiling. I ain't never see them arguing. You know, I used to watch Good Times all the time, right? That's in Chicago. You always see them arguing and fighting, you know, but... It was always something about seeing these rich people and how they seemed like their life was a little bit different. I used to say, man, I want that. I want that life for my family, but I didn't know how to get it. And so I said I was going to be a, you know, I was going to make it to the NFL. And when I didn't make it, like 99% of us, right, mm -hmm. I was kind of stuck with, like, what am I going to do in life? And at that point, bro, that's when I was just like, I was lost. I didn't know what I was going to do like most people. And I did what was familiar to me and I became a police officer because that's what my father was doing. That's what my mother was doing, and that's what my brother was doing. Was there at any point that you saw, like, obviously, law enforcement was in the blood. Yeah. But a lot of times, people grow up and they say, like, I want to be different. I don't want to do it. Was there any moment in life when you're like, let me try something different, and law enforcement is what you got led back to that? Yeah, it, it was. I just did what was familiar, bro. Okay. I ain't going to lie. I just did. I never wanted to be a cop. Okay. 
I just did. So I'm not going to sit here and say, like, I, I was looking to be a police officer. No, yeah. I wanted to be rich. I wanted to play in the NFL. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to live this kind of life. But I didn't know once I graduated and I didn't make it to the NFL, I didn't know what else I was going to do. Yeah. And I think that's like a lot of people that's even listening to us, bro. They, you you kind of just do whatever the first thing that come about. You know, you just take whatever job because it's like, okay, I'm supposed to get a job. I'm supposed to graduate from school. And then all of a sudden, I'm supposed to get a good job, get good benefits, get a pension. You know, all those things that you talked about. And with me, the first thing that came available was the police department. So I took it. So, all right. So when do you start investing in real estate? Yeah. So right after that. So I had a friend of mine whose uncle was a real estate investor. And I seen this guy, man. I remember going to his house and he hit this. Uh, it was in Chicago. It was an old Greystone building. I don't know. You guys from New York, you know, the old Greystone buildings. Mm -hmm. Yep. We call and it Brownstones. Brownstones. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Brownstone, Greystone. And they were, this area was being regentrified. And I remember like knowing that the projects was in this area too. But my boy said like, man, my uncle got a mansion, man. And it's in this area. And I was like, bro, this is, this is, this is, this is the, yeah, that's the hood. Uh, yeah. You sure? Yeah, right. <laughs> and so we got on the porch. It was like a huge graystone, brownstone looking building. And then when he opened up those doors, man, I seen, bro, I'm talking about 12 foot ceilings. I seen this huge mansion. It had everything inside of it. And I was like, man, what does this man do for a living? And then that's when my boy was like, yeah, my uncle, real estate investor. And then that's when it clicked for me. Like, man, okay, he not playing in the NFL. My man ain't win the lottery. You know what I'm saying? He, he literally is a real estate investor. And he living like this. He's living like this image that I had in my mind of how I wanted to become a millionaire, what my life would look like. And so at that point, that's when I met with him and he introduced me to my real estate broker, April. And um, we did this thing where, you know, where I said that I created this lifestyle for myself, right? I, I created this whole lifestyle of what a millionaire life looked like. So I said, I wanted to live in this kind of house. I said, I wanted to drive this kind of car. I said, I wanted to, you know, send my kids. Then I didn't even have kids at the time, but I said, I want to send my kids to this type of school when I would have kids. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, I wrote down, like, literally how much that cost, how much this whole life cost. I put all of this on paper, and it's crazy because I still got this paper. Well, I wrote it all out, and it was like, this is what my, my lifestyle would cost. And then I went and said I was going to buy a building for every single bill that I would have at the time. So if I said I want to live in a 5,000 square foot house, I research what 5,000 square foot houses cost. And if the mortgage to that cost $3,000, then I said, okay, I'm gonna purchase this four unit building. And after I pay the mortgage expenses, the net cash flow from this building now is $2,000 or whatever. How many properties would it take for me to cover this house? And literally I created this whole million dollar lifestyle from one property at a time. So. That's incredible. So I know I'm sitting there as a, a guy who was in a nine to five, I was teaching. Yeah. The number one thing is like, and most people, they, they doubt themselves because they say, I don't have the funding. So in the beginning, was it your teacher's salary? Like how, not your teacher's salary, but your, your police salary that funded the first couple properties? How did that work? Yeah. So my first property, bro, my first property was a four unit building. I, I had to put down $15,000 down. And at this time, I was only making $36,000 a year as a cop. I know that feeling. And that's before taxes, right? I was making $36,000, $1,200 every two weeks. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't really, I didn't have any money. And so what I did, they have a thing called uh, uniform allowances with the police department, where they literally would give you money to buy new uniforms, to get a vest, to get your gun, to get all these things. And so I knew my family, my parents, my brother, everybody was already police. So I went to them, man. I was borrowing my dad's vest. I borrowed my brother's, you know, saying uh, uniform, uh, duty belt. I was borrowing different items from different people. And I was just taking the uniform money and I was putting that money in my pocket. And at the time I was engaged to my, you know, my wife now. And she would like save one of her checks and give it to me. And so we literally were saving our way 
to that first property. And that first property, we like I said, we had to put down $15,000 on it. I had the seller actually cover all my carry, I mean, my closing costs. So I only had to put down that down payment of $15,000. So you said, all right, you start when you're 22, and then you say you become a millionaire when you're 26? Yeah, by the age of 26. How many properties did you have at that point? At that time, I probably had about six properties. Um, I know I was making $16,000 a month net cash flow from my real estate. So you had a, a your portfolio was worth a million. You was getting sixteen thousand dollars a month. My portfolio was worth one point seven million. One point seven. Bro, it's crazy. I didn't even know I was a millionaire. That's the crazy <laughs> thing about it. Like literally, I was sitting there doing exactly what I told you. I was buying a building for every bill. I created this lifestyle for myself. And this is when me and my wife was starting a daycare center. We was looking to start the first daycare center, and we went to go get a business loan. And we got you know they wanted us to come bring our portfolio and bring whatever else we had, all our financials. And when we went in front of the bank, the lender name was uh, Daryl Tucker. And I remember he used to always call me Officer King, Officer King, because I would go there in my uniform. When he looked at my P&Ls and he, you know, my assets and my net worth, he looked at me and then he was like, Mr. King, he was like, you're a millionaire. And I, bro, I was in my police uniform at the time. And I was like, I'm a millionaire. I didn't even know I was a millionaire. He was like, yeah. He's like, your net worth is $1.7 million. Mm. And that's the thing. I didn't even know at the time really what net worth was. And that's why I try to show people like, bro, real estate is the quickest way to get your net worth up. If you just think about it, you guys in the financial world, the average, what is it? The average net worth or the medium net worth of a black family is $28,000. $28,000. By the time I was 26, my net worth was $1.7 million just from investing in real estate. So what made you continue to work um, when you were getting $16,000 a month, you a millionaire um, with your net worth? Why did you continue? Because then you continued for like 15 more years after that. Yeah. So what was the what was the drive to just, and that's a very dangerous job, you know, yeah. in a very tough neighborhood. Yep. So it's not like something that's an easy job to do. Why did you continue to be a police officer? But the thing about it is you always hear people talk about quit your job, quit your job. If you want to make it, you need to quit your job. And I was surrounded around 15,000 other police officers. So being surrounded around all these 15,000 police officers, I had 15,000 other people that wanted to rent, 15,000 other people that I could sell properties to. I told you, my wife and I started daycare centers. I had 15,000 people that was having children that the police only trust the police. You know, I don't know it's how true. it is, but if you think about it, it's true. the police only trust police. And so now here it is when the police was hearing that, hey, this police officer got a daycare center. And you think about it, the police department is 24 hours. It never closes. The fire department is 24 hours. It never closes. So you got a night shift, you got a day shift, you got an afternoon shift. We would literally, our first daycare center, we made that 24 hours. So if you think about it, our first daycare center, we held 100 kids in that daycare center. The average kid was paying about $1,000 a month. So our first year in business, we was making $100,000 a month from a daycare center. And the daycare center was in Inglewood. It was in one of the worst neighborhoods in Chicago, yeah. and we were making $100,000 a month from that daycare center, and most of our clients, or some of our clients, were police officers, were firemen, were teachers. When they found out that a police officer um, owned this daycare center, then at that point, everybody was like, oh, wow, it's safety here. you know. And so I never felt the need to have to quit my job. It was like I got an ecosystem of police officers here that needed places to rent. They need places to live. I was flipping properties to police officers. I knew they had safe, secure jobs. Matter of fact, I was walking up to the lender that first told me that I was a millionaire saying, hey, you need to get approved for this property through here. And so and then another thing that I, I was telling you about before was that I looked at everything as a vehicle. 
you know, how many vehicles do you have in your garage? I talk to people all the time. They got several cars in their garage, but they feel like they only can have one job. They only can feel like they, you know, they only could do one thing. And I never looked at it that way. I looked at it like, look, I can, I can work as a police officer. So the police department was my hoopty, right? If we just break it down in a vehicle way, that was my hoopty. That was my dependable vehicle. That was my Toyota Camry. Every single day, I know that car will start up, right? No matter what. The real estate investing to me was like my Cadillac Escalade. That was something that would get me through the snow. That was something that if I want to travel, the daycare centers was like another vehicle. So every business that I had, everything that I did, I never felt the need to get rid of another one. You know, every millionaire has at least seven streams of income. One of those streams of income is earned income. So the police department was my earned income. That was that stream that kept the benefits, right? It kept those, those things that we have as, as, as a, you as a teacher, right? Yeah. And so your pension, you know, your health insurance. And people be so quick to leave a job. And it's like, look, for, for, if everybody out here is like Troy, you know, where you, you know, leave your job and then start a, a podcast, the number one podcast in the world, that's cool. But for the most people, for the regular people, bruh, I got a wife. What's going on? As you gear up for fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. When we're looking for a sound engineer, a graphic designer, or an editor, LinkedIn Jobs is the first place we go. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hiring hashtag frame on your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash EYL. That's linkedin.com slash EYL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Bro, I got kids. Like, I just can't afford to just quit my job and just take a leap. You hear people say it all the time, man, just take that leap, bro. Just go ahead and take that leap. And I say, man, look, look, the time is going to come when you can know that you need to leave your job. Because I did leave my job after a while. But in the meanwhile, during the process of becoming, I felt like my job was not getting in my way. My job, if anything, it kept me straight because I was the type, bro, where I didn't save for emergency funds. I wasn't. I hear people all the time talk about like, hey, you should save for an emergency fund. Bro, when you going through life and going through the things that I went through as a police officer, every day was an emergency. Bro, my first month on a job, my first matter of fact, my first my first call on a job. My first call on the job was a disturbance. And I'll never forget, bro, it was a disturbance. We, we lived, this is my first job, my first call. We get a call of a disturbance and um, we get to the location. And this is in Gresham. We get to the location and they say um, the family was sitting outside and they like, uh, officers, Uncle Fred didn't take his medication today. And they's like, yeah, we need you to go, go take care of our uncle. And we're like, okay, cool. He, Uncle Fred, medication. They didn't even click on me. I was a rookie, right? And then, so we go upstairs to the to the third floor. Well, well, you know where the guy was at. The second we got upstairs, we see this guy, no shirt on, army fatigues. Uh oh. Dude had a bandana tied around his head, 
He defecated on himself, put it on his face like camouflage all over his body. And then my man came and turned and looked at me. And my partner was like, come on. He like literally put his hands up like, come on. Like, look, this is the, my first job, bro. Like, I, I didn't even want to be a police officer. Not since Rambo have we seen something like that. And so, bro, so I, I said I say my first month on the job, then my second month. Now, this is the one that was a little bit more serious. This is the only time that I thought about quitting my job was we got a call of a disturbance. I uh, know we didn't. It was a call of um, juveniles outside. And me and my partner, bro, and I call this my wake-up call in life. Me and my partner literally pull up, and we see several juveniles outside, you know, and they out there just hanging out. It was like midnight. And so we said we was going to take them home, you know. Um, one kid in particular, I went to the kid to go pat him down because we was going to put him in our car and take him home. As I go to pat this kid down, bro, the kid pushes me, takes off, runs down the street. I start chasing after him. Literally, bro, run about two blocks he dashed between these two buildings. I he jumps up on this fence. I grab him down from the fence. He's like wrapped in, um, what was that, barbed wire at the top of the fence. As I'm pulling this kid down, bro, this, guy, this kid pulls out a gun. Mm. Puts his hand on the trigger, bro, and then starts to pull the trigger. Bullets is literally coming out of the gun. I am holding the gun while fire is coming out of this gun. As we fighting over this gun, my partner pulls up. It was an old timer. He said he couldn't see us. He gets out the car, sees bullets coming at him, so he turns around and starts to shoot at both of us. The kid goes over to the other side of the fence, drops the gun. I take cover, and um, the kid ended up getting away. But literally, after that had happened, all of the supervisors came on the scene as a rookie cop because I was still on probation. They took my gun from me, and I ain't even fired my gun. They put me in the back of a squad car, and they told us to sit here because my partner fired 16 shots. Uh, and, they, and all his bullets went across the street to another building that was across the street. So they said somebody's probably in this building dead. Mm. So here it is, though. They took my partner, put him in one car, put me in one car. And literally, I'm just sitting here in the back of the car just thinking of myself. That was the only time that I wanted to quit. Well, I was like, man, all I wanted to do was have a, a secure job. I just want a job with benefits. I just wanted to be able to take care of my family. And now here it is. I'm possibly fighting for my life right now. After I just literally got shot at. And so... It was things like that where I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to be, I'm done with the mindset that most people have on their jobs where you're like, okay, I'm going to let this job take care of me for the next 30 years. I'm going to, I'm going to buy into the system of the company, but I wasn't finished with this one stream of income that I had at the time. So those are my first two calls ever. But at that point, bro, I was just like, it, it, I got this vision of how I want my life to be. And no matter what, no matter what this job brings me, no matter what's going on, I'm going to get there. And I think a lot of people quit their jobs prematurely. Mm. You know, you just think about it. a lot of people just quit their jobs prematurely. So I, I never wanted that to be me. I said I have a vision of how I want my life to be, and I'm going to maintain. I'm not going to let this one stream of income that I have get away from me because I knew I was leveraging the police department, leveraging my nine to five in order to purchase real estate. When, when you drew up that plan, because that's like I never even thought of that, right? Like. Not only are they your colleagues, but they are going to eventually be your clients. When you drew up the plan, was that originally the vision or did that come along the way, right? Because I'm thinking like daycares, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Why wouldn't you be doing that? So did you know that prior to going in or did as you're going and saying, I right, real estate, all right, well, I can rent homes and sell homes to them, but hey, they have children too. I can do a daycare too. And then the second part to that is like, that's three different streams. You have a, a job that is in pretty intensive. So what's the balance like with managing all that? Yeah, so for managing, for me, it was always just like just like Rashad just got through saying, I have a chain of daycare centers with my 
wife. I have a security company, pretty large security company with my brother. So I literally put people in place or start businesses with people that's family, people that I trust, that I love, that's friends of mine. And, and so that way it doesn't feel like a job. I'm with my wife all day long, mm-hmm. you know, and so that way we're able to, you know, we were together already. So it's not hard for me to manage that. Same thing with my brother. So it's not hard. I like to see other people making money at the same time that I'm making money. And so it never seemed like it was anything that I had to work hard to do. You know, it just seemed like it came yeah. natural. And then with the police department, in the beginning, I would say I didn't see the police officers bringing their kids to my daycare center. It wasn't until I hit this one instance where I actually hit a lady cop that was working with me where she, I think something happened where she didn't have a babysitter and couldn't drop her kid off. She couldn't come to work that day. And so at that point, that's when she asked me if she could bring her kid to my daycare center. And then I was like, man, it's a need for childcare. And then at that point, that's when we start opening up daycare centers strategically around the different police departments, police stations that I worked at. Because mm-hmm. it was right there. So when police officers got off work, then they were able to just come there and pick their child up. Yeah. Now, th- this is the second part to it, because I'm thinking, like, we have a lot of people who are married. Was your wife's vision aligned with yours, or was it something that you have to convince her? Because, like, I'm not sure. Yeah. Was she in law enforcement? Yeah. Because a lot of people try, like, I'm married now, right? So, like, yeah. my wife's vision may not be with mine, but she'll support me because she understands that there's a mission. Same thing for your brother. Like, we put people in positions, and sometimes they're not ready to be in that position. Right. And then it ends up backfiring. So, were they both... A lot, this was both aligned with what they had envisioned for themselves. They were like, let me support our brother, our husband. Yeah, so my bro- So I actually looked at the things that they were doing already. So with me and my wife, we just had our daughter, mm-hmm. right? And my wife, she wanted to still, you know, my wife wanted to still make money, but yet she wanted to still take care of our kids. So we went around looking at daycare centers for our daughter, and it was like we couldn't find a daycare center that was nice enough, you know, for our child. Mm-hmm. And then when I found out what, day- what daycare centers was actually charging, I was like, man, I can't believe this. I was in real estate, so I took a church. I literally took a church. I renovated a church, one property at a time. I literally fixed and flipped our way because we never got that loan for that daycare center, so I had to flip properties. So I would buy a property, fix it up, flip it, take 50% of the profit and put it back into flipping another property, and then I would take the other 50% and put it into the daycare center itself. You know, and so that's how we end up starting out with the first daycare center. But with my my wife, it was just like, look, you can do this on your own. Like we can literally create our own daycare center and have everybody come here and pay us. Mm-hmm. My brother was already working security, like most police officers. They already working part time. Mm-hmm. This is something that he was doing already. And I was looking at him going to work every single day. And I'm like, bro, why don't we own our own security company? And so I take what people are doing already. And then I just go ahead and I'm that financial backing. I'm that visionary, the one that say, hey, look, we can start our own business. And I think a lot of people miss that, bro. When I tell you people are so quick to lead a job or lead a situation they're in, if you just look at the situation you're in, there's 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 a business in that. There's a business in that, you know, and so we just was able to do it. And then within the first year, me and my brother, our business went from zero to a million dollars a million dollar security company, and now our security company makes millions of dollars, and it all came from him having the knowledge. For years, he worked part-time job for everybody else. He was a part-time security guard for everybody else except for himself. So, all right, so let's get into this. I want to talk about the security. I want to talk about the daycare, each individually, and I also want to talk about the development, but let's start with the real estate investing aspect of it. Um, You put a post up a few uh, years ago that um, I had reposted and got a lot of traction about Section 8 housing. Yeah. People have a bad stigma about Section 8. Is it still called Section 8? I think they might have changed it. 
Yeah, I think still section. Yeah, still called section eight. Um, so you are big on the section eight. I love it. All right, so especially during the pandemic. Ex- explain, <laughs> explain, um, why it's beneficial and how did you get turned on to that? Yeah, so my first tenants were section eight. I started out with section eight. So my real estate broker, she told me, you know, I as a police officer, we look for secure money, right? I work, I'm a city worker. So first and the 16th, I know that I'm going to get my money. The first and no matter what happens, no matter what the economy, no matter what's going on, that first and the 16th, police officers look for that paycheck. In that same kind of way for me, I didn't have a bunch of money saved up. So if I couldn't pay my mortgage, you know, I didn't have money where I could just go tap into my bank account to go pay this mortgage. So I needed that guaranteed secure money. So my real estate broker, she taught me or told me about Section 8. And the process was, to me, it was great because um, with Section 8, it's, it's like they actually manage your building for you. You know, before you can move a tenant into your property, they come out, they inspect the property, they tell you what needs to be fixed, what, you know, what needs to be changed. And then they take pictures of it and then they do a yearly inspection every single year. And then so when they come out yearly and inspect this property, they're telling you, all right, this needs to be fixed. Uh, that needs to be fixed. So pretty much Section 8 was like a property manager for me. They made sure that my property was kept up. And it was the guaranteed money part that really, you know, kept me going. Well, I think a lot of people, so like during the pandemic, after that post came out, a lot of people was just like, oh, no, I wouldn't do Section 8. Uh, Section 8, they, you know, man, they mess your place up. Oh, man, they're going to tear your place up. And I'm like... I didn't have that kind of result because every single year they're, they're doing an inspection and they know if the damage came from the tenant or if the damage came from, or if it's something that's on the owner that needs to be fixed. And so for me, I was just like, man, Section 8 is the way to go. When COVID struck, though, everybody tended like people stopped paying, right? People stopped paying. The only people that were still paying and paying on time was Section 8. Because that's the government, government paying yeah. for them, right? It's the government they, paying for them. The, the government pays 100% or it's like... Well, some people have co-payments, right? Okay. And so I have tenants where they do pay 100%. I have tenants where the tenant has a $50 co-payment. Yeah. And I'm talking about where the rent might be $1,300 and the tenant only have to have a $50 copay. I have some tenants where the government pays 50% and the tenant pays the other 50%. It's a program where it's designed to get tenants um, to become self-sufficient, right? It's designed to get people to become self-sufficient. But like I said, I've had tenants over the last 10 years that's been on Section 8. And I mean, I love it because like I said, it's guaranteed money. And whenever you're building a business, I think that in the beginning, now I have so many units where if I have a tenant that doesn't pay, that's not Section 8. I can still, I can profit from another property. But in the beginning, and I tell this to anybody, when you're starting out in real estate, I would definitely start out with, with secure, guaranteed money because you can't afford to miss a payment. And pe- it's a common misconception people have about Section 8. They think it's only for public housing. But you could have any place could be Section 8 if the landlord wants to rent it to Section 8, right? Yeah, like yeah. A, so Like a private house. It doesn't necessarily have to be public housing. It could be a private house. And they get a voucher, right? And they could just live there. Correct. Right? So you make your place Section Eight ready. So it's not like this building here is designated for Section Eight. Right. right. Yeah. So any property Section Eight tenant can move anywhere. Right. You know, you just have to fill out the voucher, and then once they submit that to Section Eight, they come out do an inspection, and then that's when they send you, and then you do what's called rent negotiation, and you negotiate the rent. And so, then they in, they increase the rent over the course of time, right? Absolutely. The government increases it. The government increases it. Yep. So in the portfolio, are these properties that you have a notice over three hundred? Are they predominantly in one area, 
um, in Chicago? And and what's the ratio? Is it I have this percentage that I, I'm allocating to flip. I'm keeping these for rent flow. Like, how do you balance that? Yeah, so 100% of my properties are in Illinois, mm-hmm. right? But most of them are in Chicago. So Chicago is so large and so diverse. I got properties on the east side of Chicago, the south side of Chicago, and the west side of Chicago. I haven't got onto the north side because the north side is just too expensive, <laughs> you know. And so, yeah, so um, so I have properties. So I got this thing where I, have, I got a purpose for every property that I purchase, right? Every single property serves a purpose. I don't just go buying real estate to buy real estate. I think when people do that, they go wrong, you know. So if I don't need, like if, if my wife, so she wanted to do vacations, she want to travel every three months now, we have a property that covers that expense. And so we have prop. so after that now, we have like, we flip single family houses. Mm-hmm. And so we keep in our portfolio multi-unit buildings. And so those are our cash flow properties that take care of everything in our life that we needed to take care of. And then the single family houses, we flip those because we find single family houses more easier to flip because you got right now is a housing market and everybody's looking to move into a home. And you know, we're still flipping houses. You know, people are still buying even right now with this so-called pandemic or high interest rates. Mm-hmm. And really to me, interest rates are not really that high. When I first got started in real estate 22 years ago, you know, the average interest rate was about 8%. You know, where today, right, and people was happy for that. I remember back in, I don't remember, but I've heard back in the 80s, interest rates was like 18 percent double digits yeah Yeah, they were double digits and so you know people were still getting mortgages then and so yeah so right now we fix and flip and we also we still fix and flip multi-units for people that's doing house hacking you know house hacking where a person the owner would live in one unit and rent out the other units to cover their mortgage which is great for somebody that's retiring from you know being a teacher being a police officer and you're looking to supplement that income you know house hacking is the way to go so those are the types of people that we flip properties to so you put on Instagram that um, the five keys to protecting your rental investment. Let's go through each one of them. Um, property insurance? Yes. Got to have property insurance. I remember when I did my second property, I didn't have the right. I had property insurance, but I didn't have the right property insurance. I didn't know that you have to have a policy that covers theft. And so I had property insurance on the property, but it just covered tenant. It was a tenant Um, policy as opposed to a renovation policy and so because I did not have property insurance the right policy on that property somebody broke into that property and stole I had all the material in there I had everything in there and they end up ripping me off and taking everything out of there so people need to make sure they have the right insurance policy so the right insurance policy should have death insurance what what should the right insurance policy have it depends on what you're doing so if you're doing a fix and flip you know, you definitely want to make sure that you're having a policy that covers theft, you know, not a tenant policy because you don't have a tenant in that property. Mm-hmm. And so and your insurance agent a lot of times won't even tell you that, you know, the, a lot of times when investors are getting into real estate, you're just looking to get a policy and then you're just looking to get the cheapest policy. Right. You're just like, man, I just want once they give you the, the amount, you're just like, yeah, I just want the cheapest one. But you need to read the fine print and actually get one that's covering what you're doing. Hmm. Yeah, so like if somebody, if you're building and you're putting in a stove or you're putting in a fridge, like no time, like people are just, I've seen that happen where people will take these type of appliances out of somebody's house while they're building it. Like, oh, bro, all the time. It, it just happened to me probably several months ago during the <laughs> pandemic. We literally moved appliances into a house and then like within seven hours, all those appliances came right out the house. Seven hours. Seven hours. Wasn't even a whole 24 hours. Somebody <laughs> saw us moving appliances in. They came there and took the appliances right out of there. But that type of policy having Support. yeah that you can actually write that off or you can actually get a reimbursed for that 
You know, but if you just had a rental policy, it won't cover that. Do, do the premiums, I mean, if that happens, do the premiums go up on the insurance? Is that how it works? The same thing like in cars? Or yeah, no? I haven't had premiums go up based on something that small. Now, okay. if you're talking about something major, yeah. you know, then, of course, your premium will go up. But something small like, okay, uh, refrigerator, you know, $5,000, nah. All right. Property manager? Yes, property manager. Especially if you're a nine to fiver. If you work in a job, you don't have time to manage your property. And I think that's been the secret sauce to me over my whole time. I didn't have time to, to every time somebody called me talking about some A's, this broke down. I don't know how to fix anything, bro. Mm -hmm. When I tell you that, like I own over 380 units and I don't know how to change a toilet. I don't, I don't need to know how to change a toilet. That's my property manager's job. My property manager knows how to find the people that's going to change the toilet for me. And I think people don't get in real estate because they think that you got to know how to do all this stuff. Bro, I don't know how to do anything. And I mean, I could probably learn how to do it, but I need to be purchasing more properties. Somebody has to be the one that's the visionary. Somebody got to be the one that's actually, you know, put, buying the properties. And so that's my job. And so have a property manager. And so now when you say, okay, Jamar, you got 380 units. Yeah, I don't know not one of my tenants and my tenants don't know me personally. But my property manager knows all 300 tenants, right? My property manager knows all the tenants, and I deal with the property manager. So all my tenants pay my property manager, and my property manager pays me. It's easy to deal with one person, but imagine if you had to deal with all of these different people. Too much. It'd be too much. You wouldn't even, now it's like, okay, I need to quit my job because this has become a job. Mm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So that's been the secret sauce. I have managers for everything that I do, and it's easy for me to manage one person. So now I grow my portfolio to a thousand properties, fine. I got one property manager, though, that I deal with. Or I can separate it, 500 units to this property manager, 500 units to that property manager. But we have to simplify it. And I think that a lot of times we make things too complex because we're trying to do everything on our own. And so that property manager, even a project manager, if you're doing a fix and flip, here it is, I'm with you guys right now talking to you, and I'm working on 16 fix and flips right now in Chicago. I'm not on my phone right now like, hey, Home Depot, uh, yeah, put the, put the chandelier here. Yeah, we want this. No, I have a, a project manager that knows exactly how I fix up these properties. So that was the next thing. So All right, so the property manager is 10%. You pay them 10%? Yeah, so a property manager, I pay 10%. 10%. Sometimes it can go from, it can go as low as 7% to 12%. Of like monthly rent? Yes, of the gross. Of the gross. gross. Yeah. And, okay. For the 380 units. Correct. And they, and they manage the property. They manage from A to Z. They manage the property. They, if tenants leave out, they put the tenants in the property. Now, the only difference is if something goes wrong in the property, they are not, they're, they're finding the contractor or talking with the contractor to get it fixed. But yet, you still have to come up with the money to yeah. actually pay yeah. for yeah. that, whatever it is. And so they're doing the, the maintenance of it, the shoveling of the snow, the cutting of the grass, all of the stuff that we don't want to do. Right, all the stuff that we don't want to right. do—that's their responsibility. How, how do you find a good one? Just referrals. Referrals, word of mouth. The yeah. same way how you find a good contractor. You know, I tell people all the time: word of mouth is everything. You know, if you're gonna be in real estate, you know, you ask around, ask questions. A good real estate broker should know a good property manager. A good property manager should know a good contractor. Great contractors should know other great contractors. And so, everything as far as in real estate, it is a hands-on contact sport where word of mouth, you know, if it's a contractor you should stay away from, trust me, people know, you know, all the bad contractors. They know all of the bad property managers and project managers. 
Is there a number that you would get to when it's like, all right, I need to hire more than one property manager? Because you said you spread out the entire state of Illinois. I'm thinking like, damn, for one person to be moving around like that, that's tough. But obviously having Section 8 helps. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, that's guaranteed. That probably goes straight to an account. But is there a number or is there a reason why you just have one and not having, all right, well, you have the south side. That's your that's your area. Yeah. You got the, the east side. Is right. there a reason why you don't? Use that strategy? Yeah, I tell people it could be five properties. You got five units and switch up property managers. Okay. It all depends on how good they are. And right now, the property manager that I have hasn't showed herself to not be good. She's beyond good. <laughs> so <laughs> as long as it's still working. Yeah. So as long as it's still working, I'm going to keep buying. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, man. As long as it's working, then I'm going to keep buying. But the second it's not working, then I need to switch it up. Then I need to go figure out, okay, something is going wrong. Let me go find me another property manager. You know, because you're not able to handle all of this. Okay. Mm-hmm. Project manager. You spoke about that briefly. Yeah. All right. So the project manager oversees renovation yeah project manager acts as the liaison between you and the contractor but the last thing you want to do is here it is i'm a police officer and i'm i'm out here in the squad car and i'm working and all of a sudden i got my guys calling me saying hey jamal we need you to come over here and and, and tell us um if this room is, is big enough or hey jamal uh is this the right paint color i mean that can get when you're really doing a lot of projects you know you need a liaison somebody in there that knows exactly i got two different ways that i renovate renovate properties i keep it simple i got two different paint colors they say this is jamal gray and jamal beige <laughs> you know they we got we, we keep it simple bro we got all of the material one location and so my property manager know my project manager knows this knows exactly the light fixtures so imagine I'm only working with this one. I'm only working with this one person, and then we going around. I only got to spend this whole month with this person. Like, okay, these are the type of light fixtures we get. These are the type of uh, this is the type of ceramic tile, marble, granite countertops. These are, these are the type of kitchen cabinets. We have all of this already written out. So now, when my prop, my project manager goes out there and working with my contractors, he knows exactly what it is I want, and in that way, I don't have to spend time. Time, man. This business is about time. And I didn't get in this business to take away time from my family. I got into it so that I can have more time with my family. And the way to do it, the way to simplify it is by having the right people in place. So you pay him salary or he gets a percentage? No, he gets a percentage. He gets 10% of the, of the construction of the cost. Okay. So he's 10% of the construction cost. So if the construction budget is $100,000, mm-hmm. not the prop, not the not how much it costs to par- uh, purchase the property. How, how much it costs to fix? Just to fix the property. Right. He gets 10% of that. He gets 10% of that. Okay. Attorney? Attorney. Oh, bro. Yeah. Attorney. This is a thing that a lot of people I see in real estate, they make the mistake. They they try to cut out attorneys because you technically don't need to have an attorney to purchase a property. You don't have to have an attorney. You know, so people are always trying to cut it out. But but attorneys are so important. They act. They're, they're there to protect you. You know, so I got it. My attorney happens to be my best friend, the one who actually introduced me to his uncle in the beginning. So he's actually my real estate attorney. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's there to make sure that if there's any problems uh, with my tenants and I do have to go through an eviction, he's working for my best interest with my property manager and they're working together. And so if real estate is all about your team and having the right team and having them all working together. So. I mean, that's a lot of units, right? So are you doing this in an LLC or is there a holding company that's getting them? Because I know some people will take the strategy, like every time I get a property, yeah. I'm going to create a new LLC so yep. I can keep all the finances straight and everything can be very streamlined. What's the approach that you take when you're obviously, you know, accumulating the units? Like yeah, so, you are? so if I'm going to fix and flip the property, then I just have that in a separate LLC. Mm-hmm. But if we're keeping them, we have a series LLC. 
And a series LLC is where each property is its own LLC, but it's under the umbrella of the parent company. And the reason why we do that, imagine if something happened to, if we had all of our properties under one LLC, imagine if we got sued. Oof. And I've had this actually happen once before. I had a guy that was, um, he was visiting one of my tenants and he was on a back porch. He said he was taking the garbage out. He slipped and fell down the back porch of the property. It was ice on the porch. He grabbed hold to the neighbor's fence, which had the spikes at the top of the fence. He cut his pinky finger. He got three stitches in his finger, three stitches. And my man was suing me for $30,000 because they were able to see at that time that all my properties was under the same LLC. And so that a lot of times that opens what they call a corporate veil where they can see literally that you have everything under one LLC. And so now it's like, okay, his attorney was like, uh, you know, this guy can afford it. You know, this guy owns all of these different properties as opposed to putting each property on his own series LLC. And then now if that guy sued me, then now he's he only can come after me for, you know, whatever in that property as opposed to coming after everything that I have. Good he didn't win, by the way, though, but, you know. That's why you got the attorney. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's why you got the attorney. <laughs> so, Attorneys. So, all right. You, you got 17 properties in 15 months at one point? 17 properties in 15 months. No, we got, we just got 130, we just got 130 units just recently. Okay. Yeah, just recently. We just bought a 130 unit portfolio. The portfolio. That was the portfolio. portfolio. Right. So, talk about buying a portfolio. What, yeah. What, what made you want to buy, start buying a portfolio? And how is that different? for people in buying just regular. Yeah, so if you look at what's going on in the in economy today, people are talking about prices are going up with properties, which they are, you know, they've been going up for a while, but all of these properties that the banks were foreclosing on now, so now banks are left with just blocks and blocks of properties, right? And so the banks now left with all when people wasn't paying rent over this whole time. So now the banks have foreclosed on these properties. And so now they got all of these different properties in their REO list. And so here it is, the banks have these properties and they're not selling them individually. And so they're selling them as groups of properties. And so if you want to buy them, they're saying, let's say it's 10 properties in this portfolio, you have to buy all 10. But when you buy all of the properties, you can leverage your money by buying all of this and get these properties 50 cent on the dollar. And so that's the new game now. So it's like, okay, cool. Let me go buy portfolios as opposed to buying individual properties. In the market right now, when you're going out buying individual properties, the market is saturated. You might have 10, 15 other people trying to buy the same property. But when you're buying a portfolio, many people can't come out there and spend. This portfolio costs us $6.8 million. So this portfolio costs $6.8 million. It hit an ARV, meaning an after repaired value. Once this once these properties were all fixed up, we had an ARV of $20.1 million. And so, but most people can't afford to pay $6.8 million for 130 units. And so at that point, I was able to leverage my cash. And then now we got over 130 units at one time just by buying the whole group of properties. And they were all in Chicago. How do you even find that? You just talk to the bank and ask them? or Yeah, they're actually, some of them are, now they're putting portfolios on the market. Oh, on the market? Yeah, you actually got portfolios that's on the market now. But like I said, there's only a small few people that can afford it. And don't get me wrong, they got portfolios that, um, you know, five properties. It could be a 10 property portfolio. I've seen 300 property portfolios. You know, there are all types of portfolios out here. Uh, some of them you can get through your real estate brokers. Some of them, you might get from, you know, your banks. You know, you can go to the bank and ask them if you have a relationship with the bank. You know, what, um, where's your REO list? And then a lot of, you know, banks, they give you that list if you have a relationship. A lot of times they keep them, you know, hush-hush. Like, what's that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. They're not just telling everybody. 
But yeah, so that's the new game. And so a lot of these properties, you were coming in, getting them 50 cent on the dollar. So I tell people, you got to change as the market changes. You have to change your strategy on how you're actually getting your pro- your properties. The more you know, you, you said something, and it's very important. The, your level of exposure will determine your level of success. Always. And so as you're on this journey, I wonder who and what rooms are you going into to learn more, right? Because you said you didn't really know anything in yep. real estate, but you had to learn it. So who are you being exposed to that is giving you the lessons in the game in real estate? And then on the other side, it's like a double-edged question. As you're growing the portfolio, right, and yeah. you're still a police officer, you're Officer King. No, no, no I'm not a police officer no more. No, no, no I'm saying not now. No. Oh, okay. As you're doing it. Okay. As we're doing it. Yeah, 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 I know. 2019, <laughs> we said we're done, right. right? As you're doing it. Yeah. I'm sure your colleagues are looking at you like, hey, we're going to watch the game at Jamal's house. And they're like, wait, how is he doing? <laughs> are they now looking at you to be a mentor? Like your colleagues are looking to you? Like, how does that work? So you're getting, ment- are you getting advice from somebody and then now are you giving it? Yeah. So back then, bro, it wasn't many people that I could go to. It was kind of like I was a pioneer in my area, right? In, in the police department. Um, it wasn't any other multi-million dollar police officers out there buying real estate that I know of. Mm-hmm. And so I was going through doors um, and uncharted waters. You know, I was one of the first people that I know of that was actually just going out here buying up all this real estate. And so, yeah, your level of exposure will determine your level of success. Um, I got exposed to the type of life that I wanted from a friend of mine, you know, that was actually an NFL guy. And so he was the one that was playing in the NFL that showed me what money really looked like. Like, I had no clue. If it was up to me, if I never would have got exposed to him, I would have probably just been a, a, a million-dollar cop living in a, in a basic house, right? Driving a basic car because I didn't know any different. Yeah. It wasn't until I seen him living in a 10,000-square-foot house. Bro, Phyllis, man, I'm a police officer making $36,000. This friend of mine was my college teammate, and he was living in a 10,000-square-foot house. And when I saw this... It left an impression on me. I mean, just it, it, it did something to me that I promise you still burns in me today because I couldn't even afford at the time to take my wife to Sizzler. You know, I'm not talking about a real, you know, restaurant. I'm talking about I couldn't. It was things that I couldn't afford to do. And I was still living, you know, in, um, in my parents house. And it wasn't until I got that exposure, right? And that's what this whole your level of exposure will determine your level of success. I was seeing like when I went to go visit him the first time. I seen little kids, they had, they were walking to school and everybody that was walking to school had on a plaid outfit. And I was like, what is it about these plaid outfits? Nobody in Chicago was wearing plaid outfits because you went to public school. Mm-hmm. These kids though all had these plaid outfits and I was like, man, they go to private school. I took that image. I didn't even know the type of school that I wanted my kids to go to, but I knew that whatever school it was, they better be wearing plaid outfits. You know, I knew that. I didn't, I didn't have a vision of like a house for myself. I took that image of the 10,000 square foot house and then unconsciously because I was exposed to that unconsciously now, I got a 20,000 square foot house and I had this 20,000 square foot house as a police officer. We got, we got pause when we say that. That's 20,000 square feet, you know. <laughs> Bro, I had a 20,000 square foot house as a police officer and I'll be careful to, I never really even showed my house on social media. Cause I'm not. I didn't do it for the ground. Right. I wasn't doing it for other people, bro. I just remembered that 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 whole thing where I just want more. I come from a family of blue collar people, and it's just like I've seen people, bro, work. I've seen people work 20, 30 years, and never have thinking that they live in life. You know, thinking that they really live in life, bro. But it wasn't until I realized and really started living life 
to notice to, to really understand that people really wasn't living. And so I said, like, I want to have my family experience experience dog, the real the, the real life experience what it feel like to be in a in a 20,000 square foot house with an indoor swimming pool to be in a 20,000 square foot house with an indoor basketball court with an indoor bro I got to the point we put a nightclub on the top floor of our house it's a literally just because I wanted my wife and I to be able to 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 be able to have friends come over and go experience that life you know in the night and we were doing all this I was leaving work in my police <laughs> uniform going over to imagine my coworkers coming to this house and I'm still working just like them you know I'm, I'm, I'm a police officer just like them what it did was unconsciously it made them say that they want to they want to go to the next level too I never told people that they need to get in real estate mm. I wasn't that type of person that's like hey man you need to get in real estate you need to do this you need to do that no I would just show them I would show them what real estate could do and I think that's what people go wrong at you you you're not making it real I made real estate real to the point where I was like, look, this phenomenal life that I got, it didn't come from promotion. Bro, the average promotion on my job was like $7,000. And then you got to work five years in that one position to go to the next grade. And then if you happen to get promoted, if you was lucky enough, you was only making like $7,000. Well, I would buy one property. Every time they gave a promotional test, I would buy one property, and that one property would make me a minimum of $2,000 net cash flow every single month. So that was $24,000. By the time that I was 26 years old, I was making more than almost every position I could have got promoted to in the police department. I saved 10 years of my life from promotion. And what does that do to you? That exposure level that you're talking about. What does that do? Like it, During that time period where a person is waiting to get promoted, what if that promotion never happens for you? What are you doing with your life? People talk about promotion, bro, like they talk about the lot mega millions. Remember when they just hit the billion dollar lottery mm -hmm. and everybody was talking about what they would do if they won? Oh, man, I would live here, man. If I won that lottery, bro, man, I would drive this. I would get this. I would do that. Bro, people do that same thing with promotion on the job. Well, they were talking about, you know, if they get promoted, they're going to send their kids to this school. If they get promoted, they would uh, retire their spouse or live in this kind of house. I was showing them that you did not have to wait for promotion. You was literally one property away. So I was exposing them in that kind of way. And then I had police officers now ask me, Jay, how do you do it? How did you do it? And I just literally, bro, would show them, bro, this property can take care of this in your life. Like, bro, you sitting here, you've been on this job for 20 years and you're still in the same position. You done took 10 promotional tests and never got promoted. Look at everything you done missed out on in life. I remember when you first started working with me and you were saying you was going to send your kids to private school the second you got promoted. You never got promoted so your kids never went to private school. And it's like, bro, you can't put your life on hold. So I would expose them in that kind of way. And then now, and my, my closest friends especially, they all got real estate. And they're all now living that type of life. They've been exposed to that. So, but I can't say that you know, it was other people like my friend's uncle that, 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 that showed me things. But it was also my friend who he just showed me exactly. I knew I couldn't play in the NFL. Right. That, that door was closed. Mm. But he showed me what it looked like. It gave me something to work towards. And I think that that's why exposure is so pivotal in people's lives. bro. like you got to step outside of your surroundings. You got to know what you're working for. And people just go to work every single day without, like, without setting the bar for themselves, like knowing why they doing what they doing. Like life is short, bro. I don't work with people. They're not even just the people I worked with. 
on the police department for seven years, I worked as the wagon person. I literally drove around the city of Chicago. We talked about my district. I drove around the city of Chicago. My only responsibility was putting bodies in body bags. I literally, it was so many people that got killed. So many people got killed that year. My only job was to work the meat wagon and we would drive around the city of Chicago and put bodies in body bags. And it's like, bro, the bodies that we put in the body bags, we had to go through their pockets. We had to like literally, before we took them to the morgue, we had to inventory whatever they had in their pockets. And it was people that was in there that had paycheck stubs that was uncashed. Movie tickets. They had all these different things in their pockets because they did not know that they were going to die. And it did something to me at that moment where I was just like, bro, I have to live life while I'm still alive. You don't know how much time you actually have. And for me, bro, that, that, that exposure just made me, it was exposure from a good way, right? From my friend to exposure of seeing people pass away at young ages. And that did something to me and said, I have to live different. I don't know how much time I got left, but whatever time I have left, I'm going to do what I got to do for my family while I'm still here. And I don't have to be, you know, I think people got the misconception where they think that you have to uh, be talented. They think that you have to, you know, hit it big or, 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 you know, become a, you know, play basketball, play football, you know, things that we do in our community, become a rapper. Mm-hmm. Bruh, the playing field is even. I looked at real estate. That's something that everybody can do. It's simple. So saying that, how do you turn nine to five money into real estate wealth? How do you turn nine to five money to real estate wealth? You invest one property at a time. You pay yourself first. You take that money. You understand, you know, a lot of people, they find ways to save up for, you know, for um, emergency fund. People need to understand that you are every day is an emergency. Every day that you're alive is an emergency. You don't have time anymore. You take that money. You save up for your first down payment on your investment property. You do it one property at a time. I didn't go buy 380 units all at one time. I did this over the last 20 years. And I had a building to cover every single expense in my life, as opposed to depending on my paycheck, on my job. If you depend on your pay, and I don't, bro, you got to really think about this. Your job pays you 100% of your salary while you're working, right? When you retire, I've never seen a company to pay you still 100% in retirement. And I never heard of a person say that 100% of my money was enough. So if you're working and 100% of your salary is not enough for you to live the way you want to live, then what make you think you're going to retire and then all of a sudden that's going to be enough money for you to live? Like you have to, your job is not meant to you for you to live on. Your job is meant for you to use that money to leverage it, to invest, so that you can create the life that you want to live from your investments. That's powerful. You said something about the daycare. And and you and it just struck with me because I remember the cost for daycare. I have two children, paying it, and then realizing sometimes it could be subsidized. But then I thought I started thinking like McDonald's in the sense of like most people think it's a fast food restaurant, but yeah. it's really a real estate play. And so the daycares, do you you own the the properties? Obviously, oh, for the daycares. so <laughs> it's a real estate play and as a business inside of it. Correct. And then are some of the so like obviously you you have people coming in. Are is it sub, is it government funded as well? Part of it? Like, how does that work? So the great part about it was, like I said, you have to look at the ecosystem that you have. So so because my daycare center is in the inner city, you know, Inglewood, Mm -hmm. right? Most of my parents are, I think, 80, no, I'll take that back. 90% of our parents are single parents. And when they're filling out, because they're getting their subsidy, it's just like having Section 8. And sometimes it's the same qualifications, Mm -hmm. same income. So 
when my wife would have them fill out their their paperwork to get child care, to get free child care. Right. I would actually look at their paperwork and then I would see that these same people qualify for Section 8. Like, where do you live? Hey, where do you live? Mm-hmm. Now, here it is. How much income? Oh, here, oh everything. Yeah. Now, here it is. You're putting your child in my daycare, so you trust me. You trust us. So if you trust us with your child, you definitely trust us where you live. So now here it is. You live in the community because most parents, they want to you know, have a daycare center that's close to where they live. So I would fix up a property. I would go buy properties all around a one-mile radius of my daycare centers. And then not only would I rent to a police officer, not rent, not only would I have, you know, police officers in my daycare center, but I would have my teachers, right? I would rent to the teacher staff. They would be right there in the same community. I don't have to convince them to live in the community because they are already from the community. And so I would go put pictures. We have this um, parent board, right, that always talks about like field trips and different things about childcare. I would put properties up, you know, nice pictures with fresh paint on the walls and different rehabs, and I'll put it up for rent. And knew that parents already had Section 8. And so we knew that that would be guaranteed money. So here it is. We got 100 parents. I was working with 15,000 cops. We got 100 parents in our daycare centers. These are also 100 renters that need a place to stay. Brilliant. Brilliant. So, all right, this daycare situation. What is the qualification to start a daycare? You have to get, like, certified by the state. You have to have, like... And what kind of buildings did you turn? You said you turned a church into a daycare. Yeah, our first daycare center, we, it was a church. You owned the church? I, I, I bought the church. It was in foreclosure. And so I bought the church, and then we turned it into a daycare center. So, all right. So, you, you, you well, yeah, what's the qualification? You got to get teachers certified? Like what's Yeah, the- so as far as the qualifications to own the center, you know, you definitely first have to have the location. You don't have to own the location, but you have to have the location. And then you have to take a one-day class. And you have this thing that's called, my wife calls it the Bible of childcare, and it breaks down every single thing that you need, all of the qualifications um, that you need, what your staff needs. Um, you have a, a formula to how many children you can have in a place. You know, it's like 35 square foot per each child, depending on the age group of the child. Uh, you have to have a certain amount of bathrooms in there. And so they come in, it's just like Section 8, where they come in, inspect the property, and they tell you exactly how many kids you're going to be able to have in this daycare center. And you go to that one-day licensing class, and then now you have to have certified staff. So you have to make sure that your uh, staff, and they've changed it over the years. But now uh, it's a bachelor's degree for, uh, for your director. Before mm-hmm. it was just, you know, they just needed uh, two years of ch- early childhood education. Yeah, I was just going to say two years of early childhood education. Now, yeah, they've obviously changed it. So how many daycares do we have now? Obviously, you started with the church. How many uh, in the, the portfolio now? Yeah, so we got four daycares. Four. Yeah, the other ones are houses? No, no, they're all commercial. Commercial buildings. Yeah, they're all commercial buildings. So we, so our first one was a church that we turned into a daycare center. The one, our second one was right across the street. That was a cleaners. That was a dry cleaners that we turned into a daycare center. The third one was an existing daycare center that was shut down for three years. And then the fourth one is in a, is in a one-half senior home, another half apartment complex. It's a 237-unit building. We don't own the building, but we actually have the, we own the daycare center inside of the building. And um, what's the ages for the kids? Zero to six years old. Six weeks to six years old. So what, what do you have the kids doing? Just like playing with toys and stuff? Oh, no. We have a curriculum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, yeah, oh, yeah. Learning nah. center. Yeah, yeah. No, nah, it's actually a curriculum that we actually have for the like children. teaching and stuff? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we teaching them, you know. Um, yeah, it's just like you having any preschool. Yeah, so yeah it's, it's like just it's just it's preschool. Y'all offering like 
all day pre-K type situation? Yep. And at one point, That's we important. shut it down before COVID, but at one point we had 24 hours. Oh, for the cops and stuff? Yeah, for the cops, for the firemen and Nurses. things like that. And it's crazy because it's the same building. So they gave if they gave us 100 kids license for daytime care, then you also get 100 kid license for nighttime care. And so you're doubling your revenue just off of the same facility. Wow. Are you looking to scale that? Because I'm, I'm thinking, like, obviously you have four. You don't really need marketing because yeah. the ecosystem is built in. Right. Are you looking to scale it outside of four? Are you trying to add more to it? Well, we were. At one point, we were. Okay. You know, at one point, man, I had this bright idea. I was like, look, man, we're making $100,000 per daycare center. I was telling my wife, man, we get 10 daycare centers, the same kind of size, and can hold the same amount of kids. I said, bro, we're going to make a million dollars a month. Man, we can make a million dollars a month. And my wife was on board with it. She was like, oh, let's do it. And then all of a sudden, man, we had about 500 kids. And my wife was like, uh-uh. It's a lot to manage. It's a lot to manage. Yeah. It was a lot. And then you're not talking about real estate, right? Real estate is a little bit different. It's a property. It's a building. You know, people go there. They live there. They, they take care of their own self. You don't even have to see your tenants until it's time to pay rent. And now they got it where you can just send a, you know, you can just Vimo or whatever, just send the money cash out. But when you're talking about people's children, it's a little bit different, man. It was just like it became to the point we had little kids in there having seizures sometimes, um, medical conditions. Um, you know, it just got to the point where it was like, okay, this is a little bit different type of business. And my wife kind of, and she's the one that's, you know, runs the day to day. I'm the visionary. Remember, I'm the one that come up with the vision. <laughs> I could start any business. But my wife was the one to say, okay, let me be the one to manage the day to day. And she kind of was like, you know, we don't need to scale it too much. Like, this is comfortable for me. Um, anything over this is going to start feeling like a job. Okay, so 400, that's 400000 a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good business. Let's be be 36 grand. Let's talk about it. No, bro. Before tax. Security company. Yeah. All right. How did that get started? And what's the, what's the scope on that? Yeah. So my brother working. Um, like my brother, brother had my brother in the newspaper one time as making one of the top, I think he was in the top five highest state employees in the state. He was a cop? He still is a cop. Yeah, my brother still is a cop. He, he has, what, about 18 months left before retirement. Shout out to Tommy. And they had my brother in the newspaper as one of the highest paid state employees because my brother was making over $350,000 as a cop. How? Overtime. His base salary is probably about one hundred and thirty. And then the rest was all overtime. My brother was working that much. He's just a hustler. I I don't have it in me. I mean, he was literally that type of person that can just work three or four different jobs. He gets off work, work for the state. They they allow cops to work, you know, overtime for them. And then he was doing like other part-time things and like sporting events and things like that. And gone all the time. And I was just like, bro, you making good money, but like you can't live off of this. Like, all right, cool. Like you've made this part-time work your full-time job. And it's just like, how can you continue to live like this? He got two sons, and his sons would be playing football games, and he never could make it, or he would try to take it. It was just rough. And then I was just like, man, look, why don't we just go ahead and do the same thing that you're doing? We already were known. My brother's a sergeant, so he already commands different people in the state police. Like, he literally got people that call him sergeant, and that's a part of his team. He's like, why don't you take the same idea, the same thing that the state is paying you for, why don't you do that for yourself? And then at that point, our first contract that we had, it was the, the pipeline. You guys remember the pipeline that they had where they were, um, man, what's it called? The North Dakota pipeline. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the North Dakota pipeline. That was our first contract. To secure it? Yeah, to secure it. So 
So the government was trying to find security companies to secure throughout the state of Illinois. The North Dakota pipeline went all the way from the tip of Illinois. And Illinois is a long state. It's not really wide. It's just long. And so from the tip of Illinois all the way down to the bottom, they needed a security company to, to secure it. And so no security company had the, the, the man force to be able to secure because this was like a four month contract. And then it's like, OK, you logistically uh, you need hotels for your security guards. It was 24 hours. So they need security 24 hours all the way from the tip of Illinois all the way down to the bottom. How many people is that that you need? Oh, bro, I'm about to break it down all to right, you. Right. My brother, though, Tommy, because he was a state trooper, he go to ecosystem again. My brother was able to go from the state, the state police is all the way from the tip all the way down to the bottom. Chicago police is only in Chicago. So my brother being a state trooper, he was able to get in contact with every single state police department along the pipeline map. And he was able to contact each of them and find out, you know, who wanted to work part time for this pipeline and who wanted to do it. And so we had a meeting. We had every single I'm talking about. We had uh, state troopers from the country, bro. I'm talking about from like farmer town. And they all came and we had a big meeting and they found out that it was us. Here's two black guys and 99 percent of our workers, were all, you know, white guys <laughs> from different parts of the state. But, yeah, we had the contract and we were one of the only companies that was able to fulfill that contract because my brother was able to hire state police officers. Look within his network. He was able to hire state police officers to cover that. And I mean, bro, that was a multi-million dollar contract. How many people had. was it? Uh, we probably had at least about 65 people. I thought that many. Yeah, uh, it's not that many, but yeah, it what, is. Their responsibility. I mean, they're building. They're trying to build a pipe, so they just standing there. Like, what? what is, what's the role? Oh, no, you just like you sabotage the situation. Yeah, so they was paying. Um, they were paying for like mileage. So you'll be in your own squad, your own personal car. Yeah. And literally, your responsibility was to just. We had these coordinates of where the pipeline was, and I mean, they kept it real hush hush. And then their responsibility was to. You had checkpoints along these coordinates. And their responsibility was to drive up and down the highway during that area because it was people, it was, it was indigenous. Pro, it was a lot of protests. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of protests. And they had a lot of indigenous people that was kind of like fighting against it because there was a lot of uh, it was, it was sacred like, land and things like yeah, that yeah, that it was hitting. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so, yeah. And so, bro, I, man, let me tell you a real quick story. Craziest thing. When we finally got the contract, they had us in a hotel room. And it was like something out of a movie. It was me and my brother. It was like our, our uh, supervisor and another guy. They had us in this room. And these federal guys come in and they're talking to us and they're like, all right, congratulations. You know, you guys got the contract for the pipeline. And they was like, OK, we want to introduce you to one of our uh, guys that we have that's in the inside. He was like kind of like a spy. Right. This guy comes in, man. This guy's about six foot four, about 300 pounds, looked like an Indian, like literally got his hair and a ponytail. bro. And he comes in and he's like, you know, how you guys doing? They call me Bigfoot. And he was like, bro, like, I was like, bro, this can't be real. And my man was like literally talking to us, talking about the pipeline and that um, they have different people that's trying to sabotage the pipeline and things like that. And he's like a spy within the within oh, these he, different he was, tribes. He was a spy? Yeah, he was a federal agent, but he was oh, at, working as a spy. They had helicopters. They put numbers on each one of our cars. They had helicopters that would drive or fly by and they would see your number. They, everybody's cell phone had like a panic code where if something happened, you push this button and then literally it'll, it'll bring the, the fan. I couldn't even talk about this before but now you know it was over with years ago so this was our first security contract and like i said it was the wildest thing and it was kind of one of the things where you'd be like 
I don't know, man. This don't sound right. Man. It just don't. It just don't. You know, especially when when Bigfoot came in there, and I was like, "Hold on, man. This is it's kind of iffy." But nah, it ended up working out, man. Uh, we was making almost like a million dollars a month on it. Nah, and so that was our first security contract, bro. And it took off from there. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, all right. So so you got that, and then from there you just so the security. What you secure venues or people or everything everything so right now we got it's three neiman marcuses in chicago and we're in all three um we have um apartment buildings we do sporting events um we do a lot of so there you go again ecosystem <laughs> property managers while a lot of people were out here trying to find security contracts you know, all I did was connect with property managers. And so I know like your your, your large complexes, is city and state law that they must have security. I don't know if it's anywhere else, but in Chicago, they must have security. And so it's, as a point, and, and the people that pick the security companies are the project managers or the property managers rather. And so you got a lot of property managers that have multiple properties in their portfolio. And so all you got to do is get in good with one property manager. And then now they're bringing different buildings to you as opposed to you going out here trying to search for different um, properties to do security at. And so that's how we got in with a lot of. And so we got three major property management companies in Illinois that we do security for. And they constantly contact us whenever they get a new property under their portfolio. And most of your guys are cops? Yeah, um, no. So we have both. We have police side and then we also have armed, armed security and unarmed security. And you do you do it for people also? Yes, yeah, yeah. So we got one of our largest clients is Justin Fields, the Chicago Bears. Oh, yeah. uh, starting quarterback. quarterback. Yeah, yeah. Justin Fields, starting quarterback. Oh man, a lot of pressure. Yeah, we good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pressure, yeah, so when Justin. Justin Fields first came to Chicago, his yeah. father reached out to me and um he's like, uh, people tell me you're somebody that I need to know. And I thought he was talking about real estate, but yeah, he's talking about security. Um and so yeah, so yeah. I'm assuming got, you're a Bears fan. I am. Okay. Yeah, big okay. time. No matter if we don't win, I just, yeah. I mean, there's new development on uh, Soldier Field that they're trying to make yeah, it, yeah, make it yeah. They're trying to make it into a dome. Yeah, they got to reach out to you. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Can you talk about the importance of leading by example? Um, obviously, you know, I was I saw one of your posts and you were talking about how intentional you are about doing things and making sure that people see, especially your kids. You're saying like, my kids got a trainer. Every one of them has a trainer yeah. because they've seen you do it. It's cousin yeah. to them. Can you talk about the role of leading intentionally like that? Yeah, so, um, you know, I got this thing, man. Every single day, I wake up, all right? Every single day, I like people ask me, like, you know, what's my daily schedule like? And I got these five pillars that every single day, this is, this is my day. Faith, family, finance, fitness, and freedom. Faith, family, finance, fitness, and freedom. Every single day, I don't go to sleep until I have invested in all five of those pillars. And so, it's important for me... I believe that you are always showing your kids something, even when you're not trying to. You're teaching them something from the way you eat to the way you manage your money to the way you treat your spouse, you know, to the way you treat your body. So every single day, I don't necessarily work out just for me. I work out because I know my children are watching. They watching every single thing I do. And so it's like it's important for me not only to just make sure that I'm working out, but making sure that I'm, I'm, I'm treating their mother right. You know, I got a son at six years old. He literally, bro, every time, a matter of fact, it's funny because CJ over there, my son had a marriage with CJ's daughter. 
<laughs> so they went through they went through a marriage. CJ daughter is six years old, my son is six years old, and he's just like, Man, I want what you got with mommy. Yeah. And he literally CJ daughter was C they was at my house, me and C was gone. Yeah. And my um, my wife's grandmother, she's ninety years old. She she officiated the wedding. Make make, make sure that the bride's <laughs> father pays for it, please. Oh yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Congrats, CJ. And so it's like my son is big on marriage because he sees his parents been married for twenty years. You know, imagine though if I had a different kind of life, and then my son would be like, "Hey, uh, uh, CJ's daughter is my baby mama." You know, CJ's daughter. You know, so it's he's he sees that in a way because that's what he's been exposed to. Mm-hmm. You know, in that same kind of way, you know, first thing I do is is I work on my faith every single day. I just focus on one scripture. Every single day I focus on one scripture and I build my faith up. And the reason why I do that is because I know that being an entrepreneur, just being just myself doing the things that we do, you're going to have to have like, like, like what entrepreneur you know is successful that don't have a level of faith. Brother, do what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. You guys started this podcast from this location, right? Mm-hmm. And it was built off of faith. Like you didn't, I don't know if you knew. I seen what you wrote down though, what y'all wrote down, the whole business plan and what you was trying to figure out the name of it and different <laughs> things like that. that. That work there was faith. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times people don't, they don't build their faith. Faith is a muscle. Mm-hmm. It's a muscle. Mm-hmm. If you, and just like any other muscle, if you don't use it, you lose it. And so that's why I think that a lot of things, I don't have the knowledge of things going into it. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm some crazy guru when it comes to certain things. I did not have, I did not know that I was going to be doing what I'm doing now in real estate. I didn't know that when we did that first daycare center that we would be having four daycare centers and we would be raising people, kids. For the last 17 years, it has not been one year that we have not made a million dollars. Over the last 17 years, I didn't know it. I didn't have the knowledge at the time either. I didn't have the knowledge at the time starting a security company. Bruh, I'm traveling the world right now with the number one motivational speaker in the world. I've been on stages, 4,000 people, 5,000 people, just did InvestFest. I never been to any kind of speaking school. I never had any kind of training. All of that comes from faith though. It comes from, and I was prepared because over the years, I've always worked on my faith muscle. And so now when an opportunity presents itself, I'm ready, not because I got this crazy knowledge, but because I believe. And so those are the different things, man, that faith, family, finance, every single day, I'm working on them five pillars. Well, my family pillar is not about just spending time with family, but it's about setting your family up. Each one of my kids got a trust account. Mm. I tell people all the time, there's no reason why your children, everybody's children in 2022 is not going to be millionaires. It's too simple right now. I got a building for each one of my children and the net profit from the building goes to their investment account. So now by the time my children are my age at 40 years old, each one of them will have millions in the bank because of compounding interest. It's like, it's that simple. But because your faith pillar is low because you don't believe that that's possible, then you'll never even get started into doing something like that. And so, bro, it's, it's those are the things that I feel like you know, I lead by example by showing my family every single day the type of man that I am. I get up every single day. If somebody want to know what I'm doing or where I'm at, all they got to do is find me in them five pillars. Um, before we leave, I want to talk about the skyscraper that you're building yeah. in Chicago. So you're on the development side. Um, 
you showed us the picture very impressive so talk about that yeah so man this is a skyscraper bro this is another thing that goes to the faith something that i've never done before um no i don't have any expertise in building skyscrapers the most i've done was my house uh, was 10,000 square feet when I bought it and I added another 10,000 square feet to my house. That's the only development that I've ever done. But my business partners, uh, Johnny Mullins, Mark Buford, Damon Stewart, and Gerald Williams. Uh, Johnny Mullins is one of the top black architects and developers in the country. He's done over 90 skyscrapers. And so my whole thing with, with, with just connecting yourself with the right people, you know, and so, yeah, we have a skyscraper that we're doing. Um, I'm not going to say the location just yet, but let's say it's in a very hot area um, of Chicago. And this skyscraper is uh, something that's built by all black development team. And, you know, it's something that hasn't been done before. And not just that it's being built by all black development team, but it's owned by all black um, ownership team. And yeah, we all came together and it said, it's time for us. It's like, we always look to this generation. We look to past people and kind of like, oh man, like, oh, they developed this. They developed that. Yeah. It's our turn now. There's no longer, you know, those people. We are those people now. And I think a lot of times, you know, with everything, we look to the past and it's like, bro, when are we going to step up and do it? And so, yeah, this uh, development is a $70 million development. Um, it is going to change. It's going to be a... Uh, a, a staple in Chicago and it's being built by us and man it's going to be life changing man yeah we I mean that's incredible we we actually spoke to uh, a developer you may have heard of Donnie yes. People yes. A, a few weeks ago and he was at InvestFest about development that he's building in New York and uh, I know you got a chance to meet him yes. uh, at InvestFest man. moment you, of my life can you, can you talk about <laughs> what he's meant to you and what that encounter was like oh bro let me tell you something I, like I was telling y'all before I don't get too excited. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Meeting people. But, and it's crazy because I was just cracking a joke to CJ. I was like, I was like, man, it's crazy, man, how I went from being on the squad car to the stage. And now people, man, I'm going up to people and I'm like, hey, you want to take a picture? And they shaking and they can't even <laughs> open up their phone. And I was like, man, I don't even get it, dog. I'm just a regular person, man. I don't even get why people act like that. Bro, I went up to Don Peoples. Oh, I was like, I was like, oh, man. I was shaking. And he was like, he, because he told me to take his number down, and then I didn't even know what button to push, bro. <laughs> oh man, I got, bro. He was like, "Yeah, you want to push that button right there," and I was like, "Man, I now I see how other people feel." But man, it was just something, man, to see because when we first all got started, you know, we um we all listened to the audio book and uh, of Don Peoples, and it was just inspiring to see how he how he hustled, bruh, in D.C., and, and, and being there with Mayor, uh, Mayor Barry, uh, what was it? Uh, Marion Barry. Marion Barry, and just to see how he just in a political way came through the ranks and how he was able to do what he's doing now. And that's just the inspiration, bruh, and it goes back to exposure. And I think, see, with me, a lot of people, they get excited about asking people for stuff. Like, how many people get excited? They just like, oh, man, man, Troy and Rashad, they doing it. Man, I'm about to, man, I'm going to see, man, my man, give me some money. I'm going to see if they can look. You know, bro, I get excited just from the exposure. When I get exposed to something, bro, you don't owe me nothing. You don't owe me nothing because I'm going to take that exposure and I'm going to run with it. And that exposure will last a lifetime. But if you give me, you give me $5,000, bro, $10,000, I'm going to spend it. It's going to be gone. Yeah. But the exposure that you give me. I don't even need to ask, bro. The exposure y'all just gave me an invest fest. Bro, it just let me know that it's possible. Like I said, I love seeing this, dog. I love seeing it, man. Two young 
black guys, dog, that's genuine, been boys since high school. And y'all out here, man, educating the right way, showing people not about how to get rich quick, but how to do this, man, how to have a foundation, how to do it one property at a time, one investment at a time, one stock. Y'all are broad in everything that y'all do. And what's going to come from this? How many other Rashad and Troy's dog is coming up because they see y'all doing this and know it's possible? So I think that people don't really, they look at what's going on now without really thinking about what's the compounding effect of what you all are doing. It compounds. And I don't even know if y'all going to even see the results of it in the future, but I can already tell you the results are going to be crazy. That's the goal. Yeah, That's the goal. That. <laughs> so anything else you want to let the people know? Anything you got going on? Yeah, man. Just, I mean, it ain't even about me. It's about them. You know, just let them know that, dog, it's possible. Like, man, please, like, hear my heart. Like, I'm a, I was a police officer. I was born to blue-collar workers. 90% of us are blue-collar. And I'm sitting here telling you, somebody out here listening to us think that it's not possible for them. They think that, you know, that y'all somebody's special. You are special, but they think that you are just over here. You're just untouchable. They think that I'm untouchable. They think that I've just got lucky. I'm sitting here telling you. One thing that we all got in common is that we got crazy belief. And that's where it starts. Any investment, anything that you do, it starts with belief first. It's like, let that be the foundation of your life. The belief that you can do it. The belief that it's possible. And then now the information part is easy. Bro, in my, in my course, I've taught people real estate in a matter of 30 minutes. But it's, it's taken people five years to believe that it's possible for them. You got the information, but you just don't believe. It's like, bro, just believe and then go for the information. And so just want to let people know, man, like life is not over for you. You know, you worked your nine to five, bro. On that job for the last 20, 30 years, people feel like they're getting choked out. Mm -hmm. I mean, you literally feel like you suffocate, like you can't breathe. So I just want my life, my message to be like a sense of, 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 of air for them, a sense of oxygen for them. And just know, dog, see me and don't, don't, don't see the money I got. Don't see, no, just see that I did all of this one property at a time. Like literally, I came up with the vision of my life. I got exposed to what it was that I wanted in life. And then I kept doing it one property at a time. Some people want to start businesses. You letting the bank literally shut down your dream. Bruh, your business is in the bricks. Like literally, you can literally fix this property up, flip this property, take the net proceeds and put it towards your business. Yeah, it took me two and a half years before we actually opened up our first daycare center. But that daycare center has been making us millions of dollars for the last 17 years. It's just like, bruh, like, like, just don't stop. Don't stop, man. Keep getting exposed to what earn your leisure. Keep getting exposed to all these different avenues, man. And, 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 and literally go after it because you only have one life to live. There you go. Fact. No Very sequels. powerful. No sequels. Very powerful. Thank you for coming, brother. I'm sure a lot of people will be inspired and, and educated and hopefully, you know, take a lot of action because anything is possible. And it's good to have, you know, testimony from people that have actually, you know, done it and um, started from humble beginnings and, uh, you know, people could relate to. So, appreciate it, brother. No, Thank I you. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the Thank exposure. And, and he's an established author. So we oh, forgot yeah. to put that in the title, man. 
Don't quit your day job. Don't quit your day job. About not to find a millionaire, Jamal King. Don't quit your day job. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. You got to put that in. Matter of fact, I might come out with part two. Not yet. Not yet. Breaking news alert. Troy, housekeeping item? Yeah, shout out to everybody on Patreon.com. Shout out to all of our earners on EYL University and some of the earners that are not part of EYL University just yet, man. So shout out to everybody that's been supporting the movement. And I said it's a movement because it's bigger than a moment. That's what we are building is a movement. So shout out to all of y'all. Shout out to everybody that's supporting the merch. Uh, and shout out to them EYL Fashion Rebels out there. We got something for y'all. Please, just be patient. Patience will pay. Uh, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. Love is love. Thank you guys for rocking with us. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace. My graduates from my school being Forbes. Backdrop. Backdrop. <laughs> a mic drop. Backdrop. Backdrop. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime's Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.